There are a lot of orphans in this book. Yeah, it seemed like it was a hard time. Like, if you could make it to 18, you'd probably be an orphan. Yeah, so this is probably set in, what, like the 1700s? She's driving a dark blue convertible. Maybe not the 1700s. I'm pretty sure it's the 1700s. 1700s sounds about right. This is a special episode of the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. I'm Charles Wefson. Each episode, we join writers, actors, and comedians to discuss a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then we have one of our favorite bartenders mixes up a cocktail to sip while we read. This episode's cocktail was provided by Kevin Burke at St. Helens, and it's as classic as one of Nancy Drew's sweater combos. This is the Nancy Drew Drink Book Number 1, The Secret of Old Clock. Hi, everybody. I am here for my super secret, super special episode with actress Amelia Wagner. There you go. Who is uh, here today as my resident Nancy Drew expert, because today we are looking at the very first book in the Nancy Drew mystery series, The Secret of the Old Clock. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So... The Nancy Drew books were originally written in the 1930s, but they were heavily rewritten in the 1950s to make them more culturally sensitive and a little less non-PC, and apparently to make Nancy Drew a little less assertive, uh, which I don't think was the right call. Carolyn Keene, who is the author, is better known for her contributions to the field of paleontology. Is that right? Paleontology? Yeah. Paleontology. I am glad to do a change of pace. I've done a lot of... I've done five Hardy Boys books so far. Thought things should be shaken up a little bit, and I have talked to so many people who want me to do Nancy Drew. Explain to me what is so great about Nancy Drew. One, she's just a lot more interesting than the Hardy Boys there. Oh, really? At least from what I remember of the one Hardy Boy book that I read. So tell me, I'm really interested in your vague memory of what a Hardy Boys book was about. I think the way the Hardy Boys book went was, uh, they find something out in the desert. Maybe it's treasure. Maybe it's not. Oh, bad guy. Oh, explosion. Oh, other boy things. I don't know. They were that probably wrestling. That sounds very wrestling. accurate. And it sounds great. The Nancy Drew books were originally written in the 1930s, but they were heavily rewritten in the 1950s to make them um, more culturally sensitive and a little less non-PC and apparently to make Nancy Drew a little less assertive. Carolyn Keene, who is the author, is better known for her contributions to the field of paleontology. Is that right? Paleontology? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so let's just jump right in. In the beginning of the mystery, she's driving in her dark blue convertible. Her brand new convertible. Her attitude towards her dad is, it was sure sweet of dad to buy me this convertible for my birthday. I don't think sweet covers it. I don't think so. That's not what my first reaction would be to a brand new dark blue convertible. The It's kind of a piece of crap, though. It breaks down three times over the course of this one story at very... Well, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves uh, a little bit. How long had it been since you read this first one? I know you've said that you've read... Like every Nancy Drew you can get your hands on. Yeah, just about. Like I, I didn't go in for the newer series. Right. Nancy Drew Girl Detective. But That's I started out. That's the one where she out, has like an electric car and, yeah, a, cell and a cell phone and everything. She's so, so yeah, fancy. Hip. I started out probably in elementary school mm-hmm. with these old books I found in my grandma's basement that had belonged to my mom when she was a little girl. Okay, So I read those, and then I was like, this Nancy's pretty cool. I'm going to read all of them. And having no friends as a child, I sure did. That's the best thing about loneliness, is that you become very well-read. They were my friends. Yeah, that's all you need. Before we jump in, because I want to set the scene. Now, the boys are from Bayport, New York. It's very clearly upstate New York, Bayport. I could not figure out where River Heights is. I don't know that they ever give River Heights a state. The common idea is that it's in Illinois, like outside of Chicago, which I guess makes sense. 
So Nancy's driving her sweet car. Yep. And almost what gets hit by a moving van. Is that what happens right away? She saves she a little girl. Does. A little girl almost gets hit by said moving van. And this little girl has a pretty intense reaction. Like she climbs over a wall. She's on a bridge, like a stone bridge. She climbs up onto the wall of it instead of just getting out of the way and then falls into the river. And then apparently almost kills herself or drowns or something. Yeah, makes it way worse. So Nancy saves her, takes her up to the farmhouse where we meet these nice old uh, ladies who, are they sisters? Are they a couple? I can't remember. They're, they're like, sisters. Oh, they're sisters? Okay. Because at first there I thought- There would be no couples of this sort in Nancy Drew. I sort of figured that it was one of those things where like two old women have lived together for multiple decades. That's just, everyone just accepts that they're just two old women that live together and you don't really- <laughs> talk about any of that stuff it's none of our business no i think there's reference because there are two brothers in the story too and at one point one of them says that she got asked to marry oh right one of the brothers and, and they're the all other giggly brother was about it marry the other sister i don't i picked weird. up some weird first cousin marriage vibes there i got confusing we'll have to talk about vibes. that a little bit later so the little girl's name is judy and mm-hmm. her parents died in a boat explosion that's all we learn her parents tragically died in a boat yes. explosion are boat explosions really common? They're common in the Hardy Boys. Apparently they are. I've never seen a boat explosion. I'd kind of like to like see I'm a miss- boat explosion. Yeah, I feel like I'm missing out. This whole scene seemed like a real scam to me. I don't know why it all felt really scammy to me, but as soon as she starts talking to these old women, they explain that, like they're very poor. Oh, we're never going to have enough money to take care of Judy. Oh, we, we didn't get the inheritance we thought we would get. And then Nancy's like, well, that sucks. I'm going to leave. And they're like, oh, and we were just robbed of all this stuff. It all seemed very inconvenient. But Nancy ends up giving them some cash, I think. She gets, she hands out a lot of cash. She does. This. Well, she's pretty rich, I think, because she always has money. And, and her dad's always asking her about it. When she checks in with Carson, he's always like, need a little change for your purse? Which uh, my dad never says that. No. So what we're thinking now is that this is a plot by the old ladies to send out five-year-old Judy yeah, to nearly into the street. Get and feign an accident. But Nancy goes a totally different direction. She decides that the will, that the inheritance is what she's curious about. Yeah. So now she has to explore like Nancy does. And she goes home to talk to Carson about the... Oh, and we learn, we meet Hannah. Hannah seems like she's a servant, but she seems very kindly. Um, does she develop more personality as the No, she's always the kindly housekeeper who's been with the Drews since Nancy's mom died. So you get the idea that she's kind of a surrogate mom and pretty happy with her life of cooking them food. She goes home. She has dinner. She talks to her dad. He tells her so much about estate law. We learn that the family... There's this guy, Josiah... Oh, yeah, Josiah Crowley. That's what it is. That's a wonderful name. Yeah, you gotta love the Crowleys. Like Alistair Crowley. That guy was crazy. Yeah, we find out that he, in the last years of his life, was taken in by his rich, terrible, mean family members who... Which I've got to ask why. Because he's been living with other people up to this point. He's they don't explain why he felt like he had to live with them. That was never explained. No, he just that went just and lived silly. with them. And would sneak out to go to his other people's houses. He's a rich dude. Empower yourself. I Yeah, I don't understand it. some freedom. And we know that the Tophams, the people who actually got the money, are evil because their daughters are not attractive. That's right. Um, one of them is almost pretty. Almost pretty. She's the prettiest. It's it's one of the most backhanded Nancy Drew like descriptions of somebody ever, where she's like, oh, she could be pretty, but she's too terrible to be pretty. Is her basically... evil has seeped through her face. Yeah, it says that her face was unshaped by character, I think is how. Yeah. 
um, is how she was described. It was pretty harsh. But both those girls are very rude to Nancy, probably because Nancy is so judgmental. I don't know where we meet them, but we meet the girls in the... The dress store. What jerks. What jerks. They treat the staff terribly. and But Nancy kind of like has this great moment where she has a dress that she really likes and the other girl grabs it and is like, no, this is my dress. And Nancy just doesn't let go, so it rips. And then the girl freaks out and leaves and Nancy's like, this dress is ripped. Can I get it 50% off? And they're like, sure, Nancy. Yeah, just don't tell my boss. Of course you can. Nancy. And it looks even more becoming on her. Of course. In every single Hardy Boys book, they spend way too much time describing every meal the boys eat. Every bit of food. That doesn't happen to Nancy Drew. It kind of happens. They say that she had a plain but appetizing meal at one point. That would never slide. The one thing we get in Nancy Drew, though, like we always say in the Hardy Boys, they will describe exactly what a person ate, but they will never tell you what they look like. And Nancy Drew, every outfit she wears is splendidly described. Like a navy blue mini skirt and sweater combo, a green pullover and a tweed, you know, and it's like every outfit I, uh, we were walked through what she wore, which I found really fun. I didn't know why it was ever important. Nancy Drew's a classy lady. She is a classy lady. that's what we're getting out of this. For how great and respected an attorney her dad is, she immediately convinces him to try to get another attorney to violate, like, attorney-client privilege. Yeah. They're like, do you know who handled the Josiah Crowley's estate? And he's like, oh, this other attorney I work with. And she's like, could you get him to have lunch with us and tell us all about the case? And he does. He tells He's like, all right, it was confidential. Don't tell anybody. But there might have been another will hidden somewhere. I'm guessing in an old clock. Probably, as you often do. I feel like that's a dead giveaway that the the title is The Old Clock and they're like trying to find where could the will be hidden for most of the book. It's true. And you're trying to... I guess it's a little bit different than that because the will's... Well, we'll get there. She does some more sleuthing. Uh Uh-huh. Finds out that there's a couple of girls her age, Grace and Allison. Yes. That lived next door to Mr. Crowley and he was friends with them. I didn't know what that relationship was. Also orphans now. There are a lot of orphans in this book. Yeah, it seemed like it was a hard time. Like if you could make it to 18, you'd probably be an orphan. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah, so this is probably set in what, like the 1700s? Yeah, I have no idea when this. She's driving a dark blue convertible, so maybe not the 1700s. I'm pretty sure it's the 1700s. 1700s sounds about right. Yeah. I didn't, her car broke down. There's a huge storm that happens as she's driving out to this farm. One of my favorite Nancy Drew lines Actually, is as she's driving out to the farm, she says, Pretty, Nancy commented to herself. Oh, why can't all people be nice like this scenery and not make trouble? I was like, that's a weird thought. You want people to just be scenery? I guess they are kind of scenery in her own book. We don't get any more about them. They're this storm ugly. specifically happened so that her the like hood of her car would not come up so that she would have to pull into a barn and meet Grace and Allison. Which was really convenient. It was of so that convenient. Storm. And of the car to break at that moment. Yes. There's a moment though where they're talking about like how there's these two slim and young girl like slim young girls and Nancy's like run in from the rain. And there was a moment where one of the girls was like, We have to get you out of those wet clothes. And I was like, wait, what? What's going? And then they just hung out in robes. So it yeah. went in a totally different direction <laughs> than I thought it was going to go. But these girls are no relation to Josiah Crowley. Obviously, they would never get anything in his will unless it was specifically dictated. 
Right. And everyone she meets is super poor, and they all say, "Well, I was supposed to get money from this will, but it really it fell through." And they're all really nice people. That's true. They're like little saints living out there in their poverty. I noticed. And working, boss. working hard, selling chicken eggs, yeah. and uh, I did kind of wonder it seems like nancy is developing a lifelong friendship and like lifelong connections to these people you would think do we ever see them again don't think so like no. little judy it seems like little she's, judy's gone now little judy's gone now little they all judy. moved away to bayport they I guess. did and then probably got shot at with the hardy boys yeah okay well then let's see what's going on in our in our bingo real quick i'm gonna check i haven't seen a fist fight there's been no picnics yet no attempted murder no you know i feel like we're I don't think you're going to get many. No, I'm going to try. We've got Carson. Yeah. So there's one. That's one. Okay. Um... No one's worn a disguise yet. Some of these I feel like a secret code. That could show up in Nancy Drew. Yeah. Nancy leaves River Heights. And so I think she has already yeah. left because she went she's to Masonville. She scoots around to all these little towns. Uh, yeah. She's driving all over the place. In her convertible. Why in, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't Top you? down, looking fine. Oh, also, totally forgot this. When she shows up to Grace and Allison's farm, it's like Allison's birthday. Yeah, and she joins in. The she birthday, joins in. They're and all Allison singing. starts crying because it's the best birthday she's ever had. She says, this is the nicest birthday I've had in years. In she years. quavered. Okay. And it's one of the most enjoyable I've ever attended, Nancy lied. I mean, there's no furniture. They talk about how there's no furniture in this house. Finally, it made sense when I was like, so Uncle Josiah liked to just come around and hang around these two 18-year-old girls? Like, that that was his thing is he'd just pop by. I've had creepy neighbors. That's real creepy. Probably, but then it says, some people in town thought him queer. Oh, maybe he was just queer, which was like, you know. That's okay. Because that would make way, that would make a lot of this make story make a lot of sense if he was just some like older gay guy in the 50s who was like just a rich bachelor who had no like wife or family really like yeah that makes sense to me it's not like he could talk about it you're just gonna keep that one literal yeah of course queer old guy I think he was a queer old guy nancy becomes determined that she's gonna get allison some singing lessons because she has a voice like an angel yeah that we find she, out right but not good enough she still needs lessons no one does Nobody but Nancy Drew is perfect at things to begin no. with. They go to the voice teacher's house. He's not a minority, but he is a foreigner. His name is Signor Mascagni. Yeah, so Italian probably. Italian, Knows I don't know. Stuff. I don't get why Nancy is getting Allison's hopes up. Like, she takes her to get these singing lessons and do an audition when they don't have the money yet to pay for any of this stuff. Like, hold like, I'm going to find you some money. You, uh, he's like, oh, it's beautiful. I must teach you. And they're like, but we don't have any money. He's like, well, obviously I can't do it for free, but, uh, we could come up with a discount. I'm like, he says that to everybody who comes in there and sings. He's like, oh, it's beautiful. Maybe a discount. And he works out some other rate just to get them in there, in the door. It's his real rate. It's like what hospitals charge. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a fake price and then there's the real price. There's the real price. Tell you the fake price first. Just like Bayport, I have no idea how big of a town River Heights is, so I don't know how big his market is that he's this, like, super high-priced singing instructor. Do you have any idea how big of a town it is? I think it's medium-sized. Medium-sized. It's not a New York City. It's not a little small town. Takes her some time to get down to her father's office. That's true. Sometimes there's traffic. Okay, I believe it. Oh, this one's called an angry dog. There was an angry dog in the first Hardy Boys, too. And then we never hear any more about the angry dog. That was such a weird interlude. One of those classic children's story things. She goes out to a farm 
She's been given basically a list of people who she should go talk to who were mm-hmm. supposed to get in on this will but didn't. And she goes to talk to these two old men at the Matthews farm. Yeah, these were, what were their names? Edna and... Oh, the, oh yeah, this is when he's going... These were the lovers that got rejected and now right. don't care for the sisters. That's what I took from that anyway. Yes, I got that as well. That was the weird small town incesty thing I didn't yeah. get. They're all people who are direct family members of Josiah. So they all should be getting money from this will. But then these two sets of brothers, two sets of sisters were going to marry each other. And then Judy's mother died. And then or Judy's no, Judy's mother's parents a, died. In a boat explosion. No, because right. Judy's oh, mother's parents died right. too. Judy's mother's parents were orphans. So, so they sad, raised sad. Judy's mom as an orphan and now she's... What is going on with this family? It's, when she drives out to the farm to meet these old guys, there's like a dog caught in a fence, it's a puppy. like an injured puppy. An injured puppy that she saves. Who could resist? And as she saves it, the puppy's mom, which wasn't saving the puppy, just comes out of nowhere and tackles her. Apparently like a she-beast. You think it's going to be a really bad thing, but then it's just over. The beginning. Yeah. It's such a children's book thing. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger resolved. And she's fine. She's fine. And the old guy's like, oh, sorry about that. They tell her that they're poor and would like to travel. They're like, oh, we're just our equipment costs a lot and the fruit farm costs a lot to run. We'd love to travel, but... And she's like, don't worry, I'm going to get you some money. It is getting a little bit ridiculous because we're not even done yet. No, we're halfway. So next, Nancy goes to this old woman's house. She is the oldest, saddest woman in the world. And she is another person that's apparently supposed to be a beneficiary of this will. So we're just going to read a little bit here. Nancy made her way up the scraggly path to the house and rapped on the front door. There was no response. After a moment, she knocked again. This time, a muffled voice called. Who's there? If you're a peddler, I don't want anything. I'm not selling anything. Nancy called out reassuringly. Won't you let me in, please? There was a long silence. Then the quavering voice replied. I can't open the door. I've hurt myself and can't walk. Nancy hesitated an instant before pushing open the door. As she stepped into the dreary living room, she saw a frail figure on the couch. Abby Rowan lay huddled under an old shawl, with her weathered face drawn with pain. I am Nancy Drew, and I've come to help you, Mrs. Rowan. The old lady turned her head and regarded Nancy with a stare of wonder. You've come to help me? She repeated unbelievingly. I didn't think anyone would ever bother about old Abby again. The oldest, saddest woman in the world. How does that happen? Oh, gosh. She fell down the cellar stairs the day before. And no one has checked on her. No one has checked on her in 24 hours. This is why we need Meals on Wheels. It is. So that somebody at least stops by. This is what you see Dateline specials on. Yeah, exactly. How'd she get up from the cellar onto the couch? That was probably the last 24 hours. Yeah, she probably crawled her way up, has not had any liquid or sustenance in that time. She doesn't have a telephone, so she couldn't call anybody. And Nancy says, can you walk? And she's like, a little. She's like, well, then your hip isn't broken. Thank Uh, you, Dr. Drew. Yes. Gotta love Dr. Drew. So she does a bandage, says she's going to drive her to a doctor. And the old lady's like, oh, I can't afford a doctor. I'm so poor. I'm so poor. So poor. Another so poor person. She says that she would rather die than take charity, which seems like it's going to happen soon. Yeah. It could have happened yesterday, honestly. So Nancy... Stocks her kitchen, buys her tea, gets her bandages and everything. I just keep thinking, give a man a fish, Nancy. You know, but this lady's never going to learn to stand on her own two feet. Well, she probably can't anymore. Oh, right, because she fell down the stairs into the cellar and she's like in her 80s. All right. Now, Mrs. Rowan told her gratefully, I don't know what would have happened to me if you hadn't have come. 
Oh, someone would have dropped in. No, they wouldn't, Nancy. No, Nancy, she would have died. That's, but that's very that's nice of happens. Nancy to say. It is. It's very positive. Nancy's a positive girl. And then this woman gives her the best clue. She's like, oh, no, I saw him write a will. And she can't remember the rest. No, because she's old and senile and probably has head trauma from the fall down the stairs. Probably. Uh, also, she hasn't had food in a couple of days. So she sees the clock and is like, oh, something about a clock. How convenient is that? It's like the rainstorm earlier. Exactly. So convenient. Just at the right moment, inspiration strikes. The clock, something about a notebook. That's enough. I can't remember anymore. So, but she eventually, we find out that the rich people have this old clock that was Mr. Crowley's. Yep. And Nancy needs it because she thinks that the, yeah, she thinks that the will is in there. I got some stuff quoted. She says that she's going to call one of the county's visiting nurses to stop by and check on Mrs. Rowan. Yeah, which ages the book a little bit. That's fun. Yeah, that's great. Traveling nurses. Traveling nurses. Just stopping in and helping folks. So she knows she needs to go to the rich people's house where Ada and Isabel, the mean, ugly girls, live. Mm -hmm. And she needs a a cover story. A cover story. Well, thank goodness, because she runs into Helen Corning. Is Helen a regular friend in the books? No. Oh, okay. She's not. She seemed like a regular, like like she was going to be a Chet Morton or a Biff Hooper or somebody that you see in more books. No, we don't even meet Nancy's regular friends in in this book. Tell me about her regular friends. Her regular friends are Bess and George. Okay. They do get physically described in every book so george is a trim athletic girl with a short haircut that matches her boyish name okay bess is plump and pretty and likes food quite a bit she's also a bit of a coward she's chet morton yeah chet morton is their plump friend who says things like lolo let's get out of here and mama maybe it's haunted that is Bess. that's Bess. okay well i can't wait to meet them they're super nice helen her friend helen corning is also slim and attractive you know the good girls in this book because they're slim and attractive. I think Bess is the only one who ever is not breaks slim. that mold. Oh, she's yeah. nice, but she's plump. But she's plump. She can still be nice, though. That's good. It's good to know. Yeah. These books are so open-minded. <laughs> and Helen is going up to Camp Avondale at Moon Lake, where her aunt owns a camp. And she says she's going up two weeks before camp starts, but when we get up there in like 24 hours, there's a ton of people there all doing camp stuff. So I Yeah, don't... all the campers are there. I don't know. They all got on. there two weeks early. Uh, But Helen's selling charity tickets. Nancy says, I'll sell the charity ball tickets instead so I can go to these rich people's house. And she does. No one suspects her of anything, even though she's been poking around all of this. And they obviously have some enmity with her from school, but they're still like, well, Nancy Drew in our living room. I don't like her, but that's cool. Right. We're going to be respectful people. I really enjoyed that she convinces the mother that she should buy the charity ball tickets because she's like, it's a good cause and you want to support good causes. And the mother's like, that's true. And then the daughters say, we don't want to go to a party that anyone can go to. We just want to go to exclusive parties. the mother's like, that's a good point. We don't that just, is also true. We don't want to slum it at charity auction, at charity balls. As you do. And then Mr. Topham comes in, though. And just buys all the tickets. Yeah, and says, well, we'll be benefactors and have our names on it. Yeah, I think he hates his daughters, too. I think he does. Yeah, because he, he came in and immediately everyone. smacked down his whole family. Nope. And embarrassed them. And it was nice to Nancy, kind of. So Kind of. This is another super fortunate thing. She finds out through some very, very obvious questioning that I think would tip off the Tophams right away. She's like, what happened to that old clock? And they're like, what? Oh, it's up at our summer cabin at Moon Lake. There we go. There. So Nancy's going to go to summer camp now. It's time to go to summer camp. Back to camp. Her dad just lets her go. He does that a lot. He says a phrase, I think it would do you good, or I think it would be good for you. Yeah, to go on a nice vacation. Yeah, but she hasn't. She's been just leisurely. Is it summer break? She's certainly not 
in school. She never goes to school. She never goes to school. You never see her in school. So probably she's graduated, but no job. She drives up to Moon Lake, a 50-mile drive past the Hoover Farm where she stops by and sees the the girls again. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she gets their hopes up a little bit more. Good, yes. Stops by to tell him, like, don't lose hope, girls. I haven't made any progress yet. And then her her car breaks down. She gets a flat tire. And it seems like it's important. Like, it's something. But not, no, she just changes a tire. It's like there to prove that Nancy Drew can change a tire. Yeah, you know what's important here? Women's what? empowerment. Women's empowerment. She can change her own tire, gosh darn it. And she will. She has. It does seem like she gets hot and a little breathless. Quite a bit. Like there's scenes that she like her car when her car breaks, she gets hot and breathless. And like when the boat breaks in a little bit, she gets really like hot and breathless. And I'm like, that sort of seems like filler for a visual medium. You know what I mean? Like having freaking Megan Fox working on a motorcycle and you're like, why? And then she gets a little hot and breathless. Yeah, hot and breathless and stuff. But then it doesn't serve the story at all. She just like fixes her. I wrote, why did this happen? I wonder since these were all cut down if it in the original something. book it was something and they were like well we'll just leave the fact that it broke down but yeah because this is a fun plot point yeah didn't understand that but she gets up to camp um and let's check in with bingo again i'm, I'm interested to see if anything has happened in this bingo i don't see any sabotage or explosions no, I was really thinking all of her car trouble would be sabotage. Yeah. But it is not. It's just a crap car. It's just her car is... Her brand new car is the worst. Falling apart. Yeah. Um, I don't see attempted murder yet. <laughs> that you know of. No, not that's not so far. An actual injury. Definitely an actual injury because that old lady was yeah. hurt real bad. Old lady. So that's very little. <laughs> this is awesome. I really like how little crossover there is. I uh, I should have you for our next one of these write up a, a things that that happen in yeah, in various yeah she goes on a date she does a lot of that she goes on dates she goes on so many dates with different people really because that's a thing apparently back in the day because Frank and Joe just have their like best gals that they go on dates with They've well she got... has a best guy but she she's not a one man woman nice way to go Nancy playing yeah. the field a little teaser for later episodes. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll meet some of these lucky boys. Hi, everyone. Sorry for the interruption. One of my favorite things that I get to do is write for an all-ages show called Siren Song, A Pirate's Odyssey at Bunport Theatre for All Ages. Jess Robley, Mitch Slevik, Jack Wefso, and myself write a new episode every month telling the continuing adventures of a bumbling castaway, a mischievous god, and a pirate with a lot to prove. If you like all-ages theater, if you like pirates, if you like this show, please go online to buntport.com and make a donation. Just put Siren Song in the description. The new season of Siren Song premieres in October. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks, folks. Let's get back to the show. So she's at camp... Yeah, she's hanging out in summer camp. She specifically asked her friends, where's the Totham's cabin? And they tell her, like, that's their cabin. Mm -hmm. Nancy plans that the next day she's going to break and enter, basically, into this cabin. Yeah, a little B&E. Not a big deal. But she's so overscheduled at camp the next day. She's having too much fun. Too much fun. She never gets around to it. But camp isn't open yet. So I don't know what she's doing. Maybe she's, I don't know. But they're busy all day. They so are. she's like, tomorrow I am not 
getting distracted for all day. I'm going to go do this thing. And she the next day she gets invited on an all-day hike, but she says no. She does. She exhibits some self-control there. Yes. I'm very proud of her. Like, the boys would have never been distracted for a whole day. They, like, will go out camping and are actively looking to get away from their friends at all times. She takes a speedboat because, obviously, Nancy is familiar with speedboats. Super experience. Super experience. She takes the boat out. It immediately craps out on the lake. And then Nancy gets all hot and greased up is how they described her. (laughs) Yeah. Like, she gets hot and covered in grease. And I'm like, why? For what? And then lays in the sun for, like, why? Because it's a desperate situation. She's in danger from But no one saves her, and she doesn't save herself. She just drifts back to shore by evening. No, she does. She figures out the engine. Oh, does she start it over? She finally figures it out. She's like, if that doesn't work, I don't know what to do. But it does. It responded with a steady roar as if nothing had ever gone wrong. Silly speedboat. Just waiting a day. Oh yeah, and we were we were just going to send a search party for you. Your sunburn covered with grease. What happened? Nancy laughed. I had an extended sun bath. Not what happened. Not quite I don't know why she's so secretive to her friends. Like it gets her in trouble in a little bit. It does. Oh, she decides she's going to take her car, right? Because yeah, the boat she didn't work. Figures out that she is distracted at camp. Yes. Not getting her work done. Right. So she leaves. That's smart. That is. I, I've done this, so I guess it didn't surprise me that much. She's driving through the woods, and she's trying. She's driving through all these back roads, and she accidentally, like, hits a bump and hits her horn, which I've done in bumper-and-bumper traffic and felt like a jerk. I have done that as well. Surprised but it surprises myself. me that Nancy Drew does it, because Nancy Drew is too perfect she's competent. to make that um, mistake. But it turned out it was for the best. It was, um... That's why, because it scares away. She shows up at this house, and she's like, oh, they must be moving. All of their belongings are strewn along the road. That seems weird. Yeah, and there's a moving van, the same van from earlier when those old ladies got robbed. Also weird. Maybe I should go look around, so is she, her thought. Yeah, so she breaks into the house, Yeah. can't find the caretaker, and hides in a closet, When the th- and then the thieves come in, right? And she... Yeah, they come in, and she's hiding, and she can't pull back a sneeze? I know. No one ever taught her that, like, pinch your nose trick. But yeah, she sneezes, and they... It doesn't go as bad as I thought it was going to go. No, they, nothing they ever just... does lock her in the closet yeah although later you find out they think they've murdered her okay that always confuses me they locked up both of these people and their plan was we'll lock them in there and they'll starve they locked up the caretaker in some other part of the house they've locked up nancy Mm -hmm. in this closet and they're like they'll just starve kill them like if you're that's a lot easier right there's a lot less chance that they'll get away Mm -hmm. and your plan you're gonna i mean you're trying to kill them anyway so just take care of it Let's be honest, it's an 18-year-old girl and an elderly man. In the 50s. You can Way out in the woods. You can handle them. There's a lake right there. You can dump the bodies. Yeah, but they don't do any of that. They're just like, lock them in there. We got to get out of here. Which to me is kind of refreshing. It's so, such an innocent time. Yeah, it really is. We're not going to murder you. We're just going to lock you up. They don't do any of the untoward things that would normally happen in this, in like the modern era of this happen in a movie or a a TV show. Nope. They're just like, oh, a slim, attractive 18-year-old girl all out here on her own in the middle of nowhere. All right, boys. Well, let's lock her in this closet and get out of here. Which, good. Good for them. Yes. Um, Like, they're clearly cowards because they're like, no, we're going to kill them. And they're like, what are you going to use? Time. The most effective weapon of them all. Oh, Nancy almost gets away from these guys. She does. She's pretty spunky there. She twists, punches. And she gets locked in the closet. Yeah. But she's pretty 
So pretty on top of it. This is one of those scenes that made me impressed with Nancy Drew as a character because if Frank and Joe get locked in the closet, they're like, "All right, Frank, you you brace your arms again," and they always have a plan for everything, and they're there to talk to each other. And like Nancy has a panic attack. That's basically what happens when right away when she realizes that she can't get out. Just, <clears throat> I'm stuck here forever. She like freaks die. out. She claws at the door until her fingers and hands are bloodied and bruised. She tears her clothes. She's screaming. She's screaming and shrieking. She tries to use a bobby pin to pick the lock, but after like 15 seconds realizes that she has no idea what she's doing, which is so not how it would be in a Hardy Boys book, where they would be like, oh, I'll pick the lock with this bent piece of wire, and they just would. But Nancy does not know how to do that. She doesn't. Uh, She can't do that in the pitch black. In the pitch black. Yeah, she'd probably figure it out if there was light. But I do feel like Nancy doesn't have enough faith in her friends. Like, Nancy thinks she's the only sleuth, 18-year-old girl capable of sleuthing. Because her friends knew exactly what cabin she had been asking about. Like, let's say, let's play from another perspective. A girl like Nancy Drew's camp is asking specifically, where which cabin is the Topham cabin? And they're like, that one. She's like, okay. And then the next day, that girl goes out on a boat towards that cabin, but doesn't make it there. And then the third day, she, like, takes a car and, and drives away. And no one can, no one hears from her. Well, Nancy Drew would immediately be like, well, let's go check out that cabin she was asking about. But Nancy doesn't assume that her friends are smart enough to do that. She doesn't. I think that that's a little crappy on, uh, on Nancy's side. She's the smartest one. But I wrote Nancy is the bomb because Nancy keeps like panicking then being like, no, I'm going to keep it together. I'm going to figure this out. And she tries a bunch of things. Tries so many different plans. Finally, she manages to like take the rod for the hangers and like leverage it against the floorboards and like break each of the panels of the door out one at a time history about a lever yeah something about archimedes and levers and it's pretty awesome and right as she breaks out though the caretaker who's like a cartoon pretty much yeah he's like oh gee golly ma'am ma'am are you okay she's almost free but she can't get the last thing out and he's like i'm gonna go look for the key and she's like check please before you leave just check your pockets because maybe you have it. And he's like, I don't... Oh, yep. I do have it in my pocket. It's right there. Old Jeff Tucker. Oh, Jeff. So you say, you aiming to throw me off, imitating a lady's voice? Well, it won't do you no good. No, sir. Old Jeff Tucker's not getting fooled again. I feel like old Jeff Tucker's been fooled by uh, men pretending to be ladies before. I think he has. And he's not going to let that happen no, again. No, not today. But, um, no, Jeff Tucker kind of sucks. He really does. He's not very smart. He's not very helpful. He didn't stop those bad guys. Oh, and the clock is gone. She Only looks... she'd gotten there yesterday. Yeah, she could have gotten that clock. Speedboat. Yeah, it's a stupid boat. But then we would have, you know, we still got easily 45 pages left. So. so what else would we do? It'd just be over. That won't work. And the thieves would never get caught. No, that's true. Which, spoiler, I think they're the only villains in the book. Yeah, otherwise, I mean, I guess the rich people are... They're kind of villains. They're villains, but they're sort of like lazy villains. They're not actively doing anything bad. They haven't destroyed the will. They're not keeping it secret. No, they just... This isn't a forged will. No, they just have the most recent will, and it says they get everything. They are perfectly law-abiding citizens at that point. She is really good at following tracks. She really is. She can follow the tracks of this one moving man. She does it several times throughout the book, and she follows them for miles and like fifty miles. And she gets hunches about where which way they would have turned. Yeah, yeah. She's an amazing tracker. She's like Aragorn. She Um, is. Yeah, she's the hidden king. I'm sure that's how it turns out. At the end, she turns out to have been the king the whole time. Yeah. She goes to the cops, tells them classic Hardy Boys, really, where she's like. She goes to the cops. She's like, I'm going to report this robbery. 
she's like, I, I was chasing the crooks. You should come with me. And they're like, oh, do you, can you identify them? And she said, yes. And they're like, okay, lead the way. 18-year-old girl in a blue convertible. You yeah. lead the way. We'll follow. There's no blatant sexism here. Nope. Where's the blatant sexism? Not that I want it, but still, these were written in the like, 30s. Yeah, and I think whenever I have these interactions with the police, I'm like, no, what would happen is probably, like, Jeff would be arrested for the robbery, and, like, Nancy would be sent home and told not to talk to anybody about it. It would all get swept under the rug. But mm-hmm. instead, they nope. take her on a ride to the state line. They don't say what state line, but they hit the state line and the cop just basically slams on his brakes and is like, okay. I can't go further. Can't go any further than this. Bye. And she's like, well, I'm going to go. And he's like, okay. And he's like, cool. That sounds great. That's not sketchy at all. Nothing to do with me. I hit the state line. I'm turning back around. So she follows more. She goes to a gas station. The guy remembers every single person who was there. Yep. Not even there. Just passing by his road. Just passing by. Yeah, I drove by. She finds, I love this, she finds the thieves at the Black Horse Inn, which just sounds terrible. Things are creaking, it's behind tall trees, it's battered. So in case you didn't know that these were nefarious types, they have picked a terrible spot to have dinner. Right. Thus proving how terrible they are. Yeah, it made me, again, it's weird that I just said Aragorn, it made me think of the Prancing Pony, that like scary... You know, uh, in that the hobbits have to go to. It's like all those men and the rogues and everything. Yeah, it's that place. And the thieves are inside just eating. So she goes to do another B&E. She breaks into the mm-hmm. barn where their moving van is parked. Yeah, okay. And it's not locked or anything. She finds the idiots. They put the keys to the van full of all their stolen stuff under the floor mat. Which, at this point, I'm almost wondering why she just doesn't drive it away. Her car is hidden. I know. Just back it out through the barn doors and just drive it home. That seems you know? the safest option. Um, but maybe she's not CD. Maybe she's not CDL licensed. You know, I don't maybe know. Maybe not. She can... She's a rule rule abider mostly. Sometimes, I mean, she's right now breaking into a van. Yeah, but it's not super breaking, and she has the keys. That's well, she. Everything else has been unlocked. I guess. Yeah, you're making a lot of excuses, but then, but then again, they're crooks. This is all stolen goods. So really, she's, she's in pretty her sure this is the right van. So she gets in. Yeah, she gets in. She finds the clock at the very far end. Obviously, obviously, she rips her clothes, and I thought that was going to be a thing later. Like, they yeah, found... but they'd find a fabric spot. No, no, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Well, no, I think the author just wants you to appreciate that that beautiful garment she was wearing. Oh, the, the linen suit or whatever she was wearing. Yeah, the. The cream-colored blazer and whatever. Ruined yep. now. Ruined now. That's okay. She'll just use Daddy's credit card again. Go back to the store. Perfect. And Let's then she see. almost gets caught again. Again. I thought she was going to get trapped in the van and be I like on the too. road as it was going. But nope. She gets out. She throws the keys on the ground. And like the last second, they're like, oh, you must have dropped these. Oh, I didn't drop them. Like, well, you're stupid, so. I feel like they had some drinks with lunch. They can't. They, they come back have. and they're like not at, even as coherent as they were at the house. And they're so. not that coherent. How have they robbed so many people? I don't. I don't understand at the beginning how they robbed those two old women. It seemed like they just walked into the house and took everything they wanted. And they're poor old women. How? Why is that a plausible story that these men stop at your house to get furniture that you want to sell? And silver. Yeah, they're like, you want to sell any old furniture? And while they're selling their old furniture, they stole all their silver and stuff. They just, why would, women didn't notice. But I also thought, why would crooks think that women who were selling furniture to get by would have a bunch of valuable silver? But it all worked out for the crooks. It did. They did have valuable silver to steal. They keep using their full names when talking to each other. Yeah. They keep thinking, well, if we do, it'll all be your fault, Sid Sachs. Which, I guess if that's his real name, I'd call him that too. I would. Yeah. That's a pretty awesome name. 
All right, so yeah, so Nancy gets the clock out of the van. She gets away. The car drives, and she can't even wait. The, the van drives away. She's in her car with the clock. Well, and she's she, not going to follow them yet. No, she's not going to follow them. She can't wait. She has to find out if the well, will's Well, we've already there. found out that she's a master tracker, so That's she's true. got time. She's going to find them. Uh, okay, we'll do one more check-in with our, with our bingo. Oh, I thought there was a car chase on here, but I guess that's not on this one. Cause that, cause, Darn it, we had that one. I know, there's definitely a car chase. Trespassing. She's there's definitely trespassing. trespassing. Um, I don't think she's tied up when she gets locked in the closet. No. They should have at least tied her up. They should have. If they really wanted her to starve, remove all the options. Oh, we've definitely had an animal. I was struck oh, by did. how many animals were in this book because I added this to the Hardy Boys one when we had never seen an animal. And there's rarely any animals in the Hardy Boys. But this one, there's like cows and sheep and dogs and They're all very chickens. Nice animals. And, well, we certainly don't have a bingo. But some of these are showing up. There's hope. There's hope. I was kind of hoping that she'd get in a fist fight with those mean girls. Can we count that as a fist fight, what she did? They said... She, the shoving and the tearing she, and everything? No, like uh, with, the, with the guy who locked her in the closet. She oh, punched yeah. at him. She definitely punched at him. That could maybe be a fist fight. I'm going to count it because we're going to make a lot of excuses for this one. Woot! We can get back into this. Nancy has the notebook. There's a little blue notebook that Josiah left inside the clock. She's found it at last. Writing is cramped. Ink to ink. I like that she, doesn't, that she knows that she's going to have to read the whole thing to find... Uh, Oh, yeah. Her tracking skills are amazing. She immediately takes off back after them. She's like, I guess I should get on it. This chase that I was trying for so hard, for so long to right. do, and now they've left, and I'm just sitting here. Like, now, do the cops on. follow after her, or does she get in, a, in the cop car? What did happen? Oh, she no, I think she sees one from her position on the side of the road. Right. She flags him down. Pull over. One of the officers shouted the man in the cab. Oh, that's when they're chasing it. Yeah, okay. So she flags him down because she's Nancy in the Drew. car chase. Are you looking for the furniture thieves in the van? No, she follows in her own car because then she has to give the guy a ride home. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's, that's a weird, weird. That was a weird scene. So, yeah, they get in this great car chase. Nancy's following the police. The police are chasing this moving van. The van is all over the place. It swerves too sharp. It tips over. Definitely the most, other than her getting locked in that closet, which was genuinely kind of scary. This is the most uh, high stakes thing that happens in the entire book. Yeah, this is probably the most exciting part. Action wise. Nancy identifies some of the stolen furniture. And they're like, good enough. They don't even need her to testify. They don't need to go to the police station. Right, because she doesn't want to be known and they don't find that at all suspicious. Yeah. I would be like, well, you're at least going to give a statement. Yeah. Like, I'm going to get your name. Yeah. We're going to write this down. I'm not just going to all sweep this under. But they find out, same thing that happens to the Hardy Boys all the time. They're like, wait a minute, you're Carson Drew's kid, aren't you? All right, you're good, you're good. I know Carson. Gosh, that's got to be something illegal. Starting rather young, aren't you? And I was like, she's old enough, man. She's been, did you see how she trailed that moving van? You guys weren't going to catch these guys. Yeah, she's better than you are. I at police work. Come on now. Oh, she says, I don't want a reward. Really, I don't. But at this point, doesn't she owe Carson like a bunch of money? No, because I was like, maybe you could dad. Maybe you could pay your dad back for, for like filling that woman's house with groceries and all the dresses you bought. He's a lawyer. There's he'll be money. fine. There's money. He's a lawyer for the somebody. He's a wealthy lawyer. He's no public defender. He's, I mean, he's definitely got his core clients, which he seems like he would be a public defender because he was like, got such a good he heart. Does, but... but he's making different income. Yeah, that. he's making bank. This is the weird car thing. Yeah. So she's like, okay, I'm not going to give them the clock. 
I'm going to wait till I find out where the will is before I tell the police about this part of it, which I don't think is cool. She should definitely she tell should the police everything. She should about that. That's weird. But Officer Cohen, a strapping husky man, turned to Nancy. All right with you, he said. You're going past headquarters on the main road. No, She's, please don't. Yeah. Why, why, of course, Nancy stammered. I'd be glad to. Yeah, it's weird. He just like decides I'm going to ride with this girl. Well, and then he says, would you like me to drive? Maybe this is a thing. Maybe that's the sexist thing. In the day, thing. but. You want me to drive your car? To drop me off. But yeah, so she has to fess up that she has this stolen property in her car. And she does by saying, I have stolen property in the car. What? Unnecessary <laughs> exclamation point. She had taken the responsibility trying to learn whether the van held stolen from her. She lies. She's like, oh, I broke into the van and checked to see if this was the old clock and if it was their property. I was, it was, but I didn't get a chance to put it, but she lies. She does. She uh, scams them and they're like, I'll take it to headquarters. Does she, does she have to drive him home or drive him it to the station? I think he drives. He yeah, he drives her he car. Laid the clock, he laid the clock in the rear seat, then slid behind the wheel and drove off. So weird. I don't like that. But okay. Yeah, I don't like her giving someone else control of like where she's going. But anyway, he's a cop. I guess we're supposed to trust them. Her dad is gone at night. That's why I thought maybe he was dating. He's frequently gone at night when she gets home. And I'm like, maybe he's just on a date. Secret dating. No one would begrudge him. This is a weird line. Suddenly, Nancy realized she was very hungry. Many hours had passed since she had eaten. Um, food, she thought. So we get a little valley girl in there? Yeah, it was weird. Um, food. Maybe it was supposed to be yum, but anyway. Maybe it was. Maybe it's a typo. So, uh, mystery solved, right? Like, she finds... You would think. There's the notebook. She finds the notebook. Notebook says there's a safety deposit box. She finds a key in the notebook. No, we no, we still have 30 pages left. I was blown away by that. This would, like, Hardy Boys, it would have been mystery over. Yeah, we found the notebook done. What I'm expecting at this point is she finds a key in the notebook. She mm-hmm. doesn't find that at first. It no. takes her a while to get to it. But then I think someone's going to break in and steal it, maybe? Yeah, because we've got... But no, it's just this really, really slow burn. Something has to... No, she takes it upstairs to bed with her so it's safe. To put it under her pillow? I thought that was going to think she was going to, like, wake up and it's gone. Yeah. Um, which means somebody would have broken into her bedroom, which is weird. Super creepy. But Luckily, no. none of that happens. What we hear about is a trip to the bank, which is full of excitement. Yeah, they just go to the bank. Carson is such a downer during this whole thing. Like, finally, it's starting to look like Nancy's intuition was correct, and there is this other will. And the whole time they're going to the bank, he's like, and just so you know, there's a good chance that they'll challenge it, and we'll never see a dime of it. And there's a good chance he filled it out wrong, and there's a good chance there is no will. And it just goes on and on. Which almost makes me wonder if Nancy Drew is even his daughter. Because if my dad was doing that, I'd be, probably be like, shut up, dad. Just yeah. let me have this. Why are you being like this? This is him giving her oh, an example yeah. about, weird. about why she shouldn't get her hopes up. And why, like, old people do crazy things. I remember one case in Canada years ago. An eccentric Frenchman died and left directions to look in a trunk of old clothes for a will. In the pocket of a coat were found further instructions to look in the closet of his home. There, his family found a note telling them to look in a copper boiler. The boiler had disappeared, but was finally located in a curiosity shop. Inside, pasted on the bottom, was what proved to be a word puzzle in Chinese. The old Frenchman's heirs were about to give up in despair when a Chinese solved the puzzle and the old man's fortune was found. A bag of gold under a board in his bedroom floor. At least they found it, said Nancy. Unlike the point of this story. Yeah, what was the point of that story? The story was like, don't get your hopes up. I guess, well, like, okay, well, in that situation, they found a bag of gold. Also, a Chinese. Is that our? Is that for our bingo? I believe that's a, a minority. A minority? So at this point... We might point, also count that as a secret code because it's in Chinese. And there was a secret code. I think we just hit bingo. What? 
unbelievable. Nancy Drew Bingo for the Hardy in Boys. In one story. In one paragraph, really. In one we paragraph, that we, we ticked off two of those. A secret code and, and a minority. nice racism. Oh, god, It just makes me uh, shiver there. Um, but they get the will. All I keep thinking is that the lawsuit about this will is going to take years. People challenge stuff like this all the time. Both of the witnesses are dead. It's handwritten. They do one of the, what would normally be a get everybody together to tell who the murderer was. But instead, this time it's get everybody together to read the will. Except the oldest, saddest lady in the world. She can't make it because she's, she's old and sad. still bedridden. But everyone that we've met so far who was named in the will gets money. No one else, though. There's like the old men's club. The old men's club. I which, don't remember what they call that. The Tophams even get something. They get $5,000. They get $5,000. The wife and daughters get nothing, but the husband gets $5,000. It turns out, thank goodness, the Tophams are actually financially ruined. We didn't know that until now. Excellent. They're moving into a small house. Into a small house. Both the girls are going to have to work. They can't afford to challenge the will, so they're just like screwed. I like this little backhanded comment from Carson. I think it'll be good for them. She she goes to Allison and Grace's house and comes in and does a, a classic bitchy friend thing. She says, girls, change your clothes. We have to go to something. What you're wearing is not suitable. Right. Get the chicken shit off your legs. Sign Whatever up for lessons. For, it's because you've got the money. She st- takes like a victory lap basically and goes and visits all the people who uh, got money. Uh, yeah, that's the end. I cannot believe we got that sweet bingo. Also important to note that Nancy gets a souvenir oh, from yeah. her mystery, which will happen frequently. She gets a clock. She's going to get a cluttered. She, I don't know where she keeps all the crap. I bet Nancy's going to be that old woman who you go to her house and you're like, that's a nice clock, Nana. And she'll be like, interesting story about like, that oh, clock. Gosh, oh, Nana, God, not everything again. in this damn house. Is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything you have coming up? No, I just finished all my things. What did you just finish? I was at High Plains Chautauqua in Greeley. Cool. Which is an excellent festival type thing where we pick historical figures and pretend we are them. That sounds real creepy. It's actually real fun. We give lectures. So I was Edith Wharton. Well, that's great. everyone should love Chautauqua. That's all I got, though. Okay. I had a lot of fun reading Nancy Drew. It was a nice change of pace. I'm really glad that you came. I had a lot of fun talking about Nancy. Good. I'm really glad you did, and we'll have you back. Each episode, we have one of our favorite bartenders create a custom cocktail with the recipe posted at hardyboysdrinkbook.com. The drink for today's episode is provided by Kevin Burke at St. Ellie. Hi, everyone. I'm here at St. Ellie on Platte and 16th with Kevin Burke. St. Ellie is below Colton Gray. It is in, we were just talking about the neighborhood. We haven't named this neighborhood yet. Yeah, it hasn't been really named yet. It's uh, sort of like the old Riverfront Park, Platte Street. There was so much construction going on in this area. It is completely up and coming. But Colton Gray has been here for eight years. You said, what, what is your backstory with Colton Gray? I was actually the second front of house employee that was hired in 2009. And actually the first employee was hired about 12 minutes before I was. He's our current wine buyer and assistant general manager upstairs. You have to love a place that gets its talent from in-house, you know, because a lot of places have really, especially in the restaurant and bar industry, there's a lot of turnover. So I love that when I find a place that has loyal, you know, it's a good bar. What is your background? Where are you from? 
Uh, I was born and raised in Casper, Wyoming. I moved to New York when I was 18 and went to school and did the classic, uh, I'm in art school, so I have to work in restaurants in order to accommodate my rehearsal. I think there's a law that says that you have to do that. Pretty much, yeah. It's basically, it's an unwritten rule. So when did you move to Denver? Uh, I moved here in 2008, coming up on my 10-year anniversary. Do you do any theater in town? I did for a while. I was a professional ballet dancer, but I've since retired. You get a little old. Yeah, it's definitely for the spry and youthful. So you were talking earlier about your philosophy towards flavor and cocktails. I was wondering if you just talk some about. So I, I think when when you have cocktail bartenders that are approaching kind of making drinks, there really are kind of two major divisions. You have this group of bartenders that are very talented at force multiplying, if you will, where they are able to add ingredients and add complexity through addition. And then you have the other set of bartenders, which are uh, more of finding complexity through subtraction or the editors. The drinks that we make here at St. Ellie and Colton Gray, for that matter, tend to adhere more to the editing rule, although we occasionally will dapple in these, uh, you know, lengthy, kind of complicated drinks as well. More algebra, less simple addition and subtraction. One of the things about the, the drink you made today is I can tell that there's each individual note is being hit, but the balance is really uh, is really there. You're talking about something you call SPA, right? So our kitchen, when they're when they're putting together a dish, they they talk about salt, pepper, and acid, or your mainly your your three tones of your your seasoning and the additional seasoning that you can do. And then behind the bar, we somewhat adopt that where we talk of bitter, sweet, and acid. So the bitters in this cocktail, uh, Peychauds, and to an extent, Benedictine, kind of are doing that heavy lifting. The Benedictine has this wonderful honeyed sweetness to it as well, which kind of rounds that out. And then the acid comes from that lemon twist that still has a little bit of the meat of the lemon on it. So you're going to get some of the citric acid from the fruit and also the acid from the oils. And then you're also going to find some acidity both in that whiskey and in the Benedictine as well as the Benedictine's a, a brandy-based spirit. And wild turkey, and especially the rye, tends to be a pretty bright, um, high acid spirit. Okay, I'm going to take a sip of this and just talk a little bit about it. Sure. Well, it's very, very good. It immediately hits that old-fashioned note. The honey from the Benedictine is great. I like the consistency of the drink because the thickness that the Benedictine adds to it really allows the the like the lemon flavor and the rye to sit on your tongue a little bit longer. And I really I actually really like the large the meat on the lemon. It gives it brightness that balances out the rye really well. And I love rye cocktails. And the large, you know, giant fresh carved ice cube. I know that you know exactly what you're doing when you have a whiskey-based drink and you put a large iceberg of ice in it. That's wonderful. What's the foot traffic life in this neighborhood? Do you, do people come here to come to the restaurants and shop, or do they, is it locals? Uh, it, it's a it's a beautiful combination of both. Um, we do have some fairly large residential buildings in the neighborhood, which we do cultivate quite a bit of regular sort of business with, and it's also a, a, a growing business hub for Denver. Um, the two large buildings kind of going up on the street. One of them is going to be a you know a quarter million square foot co-working space. So a lot of tech work is going to go in there. Google's going to have some office in there. So that's going to be fascinating. Uh, the other one is a more traditional office building that British Petroleum has basically leased for their Western offices. So more kind of really classic old school business clients. Well, both Colton Gray upstairs and St. Ellie downstairs definitely give me the feel of a perfect place for like a business cocktail or a business, you know, meal. Um, and we were talking, there are these two high back chairs in the corner that I think are perfect for two uh, shady businessmen to have a muttered conversation behind newspapers. All right. Well, Kevin Burke, it's wonderful. Thank you for being on the show. Um, 
Maybe we'll come back. Sounds good. It was a pleasure. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Charles and Jack Wefso. Our music is provided by Danny Overby at Round 2 Production. Our design and photography is by Kristen Hallstrom. Special thanks to Amelia Wagner, Kevin Burke at St. Helly, and their network. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and at hardyboysdrinkbook.com. If you have any thoughts, comments, or drunken fan theories, please send them to us at hardyboysdrinkbook at gmail.com. And please tune in next time for The Hardy Boys Drink Book Number 6, The Shore Road Mystery.